Section 20 of The Exploits and Triumphs in Europe of Paul Morphy, the Chess Champion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. The Exploits and Triumphs in Europe of Paul Morphy, the Chess Champion by Frederick Milne Edge. Chapter 15 Morphy and Anderson. The first week in December, Monsieur de Riviere received a communication from Herr Anderson announcing his approaching arrival in Paris. A week prior to this, Morphy had been laid up in bed with a severe illness. The rigors of a first winter in northern climates had told upon him, and I feared much for the result. He was leached and lost a great quantity of blood. I told him three or four pints, to which he replied, Then there's only a quart left. He was kept very low during a fortnight, and having to lift him out of bed only four days before the match with the great Prussian master, I found him too weak to stand upon his legs, although in bed he did not feel so helpless. For two months he had had an antipathy to chess, and I had experienced the greatest difficulty in inducing him to go to the Regans at all. When I would ask him during breakfast what he was going to do with himself during the day, his immediate reply would be, I am not going to the Regans and he declined invitations if he thought he should be obliged to play chess. When I brought him the news that Anderson had left Breslau, Herr Mayet having written me to that effect, Morphy said to me, I have a positive chess fever coming over me. Give me the board and pieces, and I'll show you some of Anderson's games. And with his astounding memory, he gave me battle after battle with different adversaries, variations and all. How he dilated on a certain game between him and Dufresne, in which, though under the mate, he first of all sacrifices his queen, and after seven or eight moves forces his opponent to resign. There, said Morphy, that shows the master. What wonderment he has caused with his omnipotent memory! I have seen him sit for hours at the divan and the regence, playing over not merely his own battles, but the contests of others, till the spectators could scarcely believe their senses." It will be remembered by many of my readers that when Mr. Staunton published the eight blindfold games played at Birmingham, he omitted some twenty or thirty of the concluding moves in the game with the Reverend Mr. Salmon. When we had been two months in Paris, Herr Lowenthal wrote me to request that I would forward him the remaining moves, as there was a desire to have the parte complete. It was nearly midnight, and Morphy had gone into his bedroom after dictating me some games played during the day, and— Mindful of Herr L.'s request, I called to him, asking whether he was coming back, when he replied that he was already in bed. I said I should be obliged if he would let me bring him aboard and light, in order that he might dictate to me the required moves, when he answered, There's no necessity for that. Read me over what Staunton published, and I'll give you the remainder. He called over the omitted moves as fast as I could write them down. Going into Morphy's bedroom one morning at ten o'clock, whom should I find sitting there but Herr Anderson? He had arrived by a late train the night previous, and his first visit was to his young challenger, whom he was indeed sorry to find ill in bed, especially as his absence from Breslau was limited to two weeks. Morphy assured him that he should be well enough to play the following week, but Anderson replied that he should not like to commence a match until Morphy was in a fit state to undergo the fatigue. They then agreed that the match should consist of thirteen games. In other words, he should be the victor who first scored seven, and, 
as neither of them desired any stake but honour the preliminaries were quickly arranged from that we got to talking on various subjects and anderson informed us greatly to our surprise that the german papers had published a statement to this effect mr morphy has finally decided on remaining in europe until spring in consequence of the pressing solicitations of his friend herr harwitz how we roared this was anderson's first visit to the french metropolis and i immediately offered to show him some of the lions so forth we sallied he was desirous of going to the regence but two hours would elapse before anybody would be there and in the meantime he could see a few public buildings the first place i took him to was of course the louvre and as it had rained copiously the night before i walked him across the palace du carousel in order to soil his boots with the mud most of his attention was taken up with keeping that portion of his attire clean but when that had become no longer possible his leisure was entirely devoted to sightseeing. Of course, we could not altogether avoid talking about the main object of his visit. He told me he had only seen a few of Morphy's games, and asked me what was the opinion of the Regans in reference to his style of play. I replied that it was the opposite of what they thought in England and America, characterizing it as sound rather than brilliant, but that there was no reason for this, inasmuch as the French players persisted in playing close openings, he replied, No wonder. No man would willingly expose himself to Morphy's thundering attacks. Attaque foutoyante. On returning to the Regants, we found Harwitz, who, by the by, is a fellow townsman of Anderson, and they were at the same school together. The latter knew that Harwitz stated that he beat him the majority of games, and was most desirous of proving the fallacy of the assertion, and immediately proposed an encounter. This was accepted, and out of six games, played on five different occasions, Anderson won three, Harvitz won, and two were drawn. After that, little doubt existed as to which was the stronger player, and when, just before leaving Paris, Anderson was complimented on this result, he said, Oh, there is but one Morphy in the world. On the day of Anderson's arrival, Morphy told his medical adviser that he must get him well enough to commence the match on the following Monday. The doctor said it all depended upon his feeling sufficiently strong to undergo the fatigue, when his patient replied that what he feared was a hard battle exhausting him too much to continue the struggle the next day. On the doctor's advice, he consented to play the match in the hotel so as not to undergo the fatigue of moving, and it was arranged that only such as were specially invited should be present, but that the move should be forwarded every half hour to the brigands. The Saturday before the commencement of the match, Harvitz performed his feat of playing eight blindfold games simultaneously at the rooms of the Cercel, only subscribers of five francs or upwards being admitted. Herr Harvitz had fixed upon seven o'clock in the evening as the time for commencing, and I, like many others, had advised him to choose an earlier hour, or he would not get through till long past midnight. He replied that he should finish in from four to five hours, he knew this positively because he had been rehearsing for the occasion. But the result proved how much he was mistaken, as he did not get through till near sunrise. His antagonists were mainly rook or rook and night players, Signor Petri, the weakest of Morphy's blindfold opponents, being incomparably the strongest. Herr Anderson, who was present, assured me that many of the players left pieces and priests, as though designedly, and that, beyond the fact of seeing the boards in his mind's eye, Harvitz proved nothing by his exertions. The strangest affair in connection with this display is 
that although Harvitz edited the chess column in Monde Illustre, he never gave a single one of his blindfold games, nor would he permit any to be made public. Mr. Harvitz was perfectly in his right mind when endeavouring to emulate Paul Morphy, but the folks at the Regence ridiculed what they called aping his superior, and many were the squibs got off at his expense. One, the most popular of all, was as follows. Tu vos singer Morphy, Joël Fenemal, je ne prodonne ta force ta nature, au ventuta posant original, ton nonicala caricature. In plain English prose, you wish to ape Morphy, the phenomenon. Imprudent young man, you strain yourself. It is useless to put yourself forward as an original. You are merely a caricature. Not complimentary, certainly. On Monday morning I got Morphy out of bed for the first time since his illness, and, at noon, assisted him into the room where the match was to come off. No time was lost in getting to work, and, within five minutes of his entering, as many moves had been played. Our hero had the first move, and ventured the Evans gambit, which he lost after seven hours fighting, and upwards of seventy moves. I noticed that he was restless throughout the contest, which was only to be expected, after having been so long in bed, without nourishment. Morphy was charmed with Anderson's defense throughout, and has frequently cited it as an admirably conducted strategy. It proved to him that the Evans is indubitably a lost game for the first player, if the defense be carefully played, inasmuch as the former can never recover the gambit pawn, and the position supposed to be acquired at the outset cannot be maintained. He did not appear much fatigued after his exertions, and the next morning he had visibly improved in appearance. Anderson, now having the move, played out his king's pawn and knight, and Morphy's supposed he too was going to have a turn at the Evans. No such thing. He played that disgusting arrangement, the Rue Lopez, but it only came to a drawn game, our hero believing he himself could have won it had he played properly at the end. The third day Morphy looked himself again, his complexion being clear and his eyes sparkling with all their creole brilliancy. He thought he should like to have a turn at the Roy Lopez also, and dashed away at such a furious rate that Anderson resigned in a few minutes over the hour, some twenty-one moves having been played. Anderson immediately asked if he would commence another game forthwith, and Morphy consented. This fourth contest also being a Roy Lopez, but ending likewise in the discomfiture of the Prussian champion. And this parte was the last we saw of the R.L. during the struggle. Morphy now scored the fifth, sixth, and seventh games, thus having won five consecutively. The eighth was a draw. The ninth he carried off in seventeen moves. The tenth, played immediately after, Anderson marked in seventy-seven. As the professor was leaving, he said to me in his quiet, funny way, Mr. Morphy wins his games in seventeen moves, and I in seventy, but that is only natural. The eleventh parte Morphy scored, thus winning the match, having lost only two games, and drawn two. Immediately after each day's play, Herr Anderson would walk straight to the Regents for the purpose of expediting reports of the same to his friends in Leipzig and Berlin. There were always crowds to meet him, and to assure him he could have won, and ought not to have lost, but the professor smiled at them incredulously. I have heard him tell them, Dites cela à Monsieur Morphy. Tell that to Mr. Morphy over and over again. One individual, 
who from the beginning had questioned Morphy's superiority, though he had been beaten by him in the proportion of seven to one, told the professor, in the presence of a crowd of amateurs, "'You are not playing anything like as well as with Dufresne's.' "'No,' replied Anderson. "'Morphy won't let me.' And he added, "'It's no use struggling against him. He is like a piece of machinery which is sure to come to a certain conclusion.' On another occasion he said, "'Mr. Morphy always plays, not merely the best, but the very best move. And if we play the move only approximately correct, we are sure to lose.' Nobody can hope to gain more than a game, now and then, from him. And, in reply to a question of Monsieur de Rivière, he said in my hearing, It is impossible to play chess better than Mr. Morphy. If there be any difference in strength between him and Labradonius, it is in his favor. I have never seen a nobler-hearted gentleman than Herr Anderson. He would sit at the board, examining the frightful positions into which Morphy had forced him, until his whole face was radiant with admiration of his antagonist's strategy, and, positively laughing outright, he would commence resetting the pieces for another game, without a remark. I never heard him make a single observation to Morphy complimentary of his skill, but, to others, he was loud in admiration of the young American. After the match was over, the two antagonists played six off-hand games, all gambits, Anderson winning one and Morphy five. These also came off at the Hotel Brutiel, and were rattled away inside of three hours. The gallery of spectators who witnessed this great contest between the champions of the old world and the new was select, if not numerous. There were present, almost constantly, Saint-Amant, de Rivière, Journald, Carlini, Petri, Grosboulogne, Lequenz, and one or two others. Amongst the occasional visitors were Counts Casabianca and Bosterot, Monsieur de Vinck, the Paris correspondent of the New York Times, and any host of our hero's countrymen who desired to be present. One night, after the day's battle was over, Morphy and I were sitting in our room, chatting together, when an immense stranger appeared and announced himself as follows. I am Prince Galitzin. I wish to see Mr. Morphy. Morphy looked up from a fantieu in which he was buried, and replied, I am he. The prince answered, It is not possible. You are too young and then he seated himself by Morphy's side and told him, I first heard of your wonderful deeds on the frontiers of Siberia. One of my suite has a copy of the chess paper published in Berlin, the Schatzzeitung, and ever since that time I have been wanting to see you. And he told our hero that he must pay a visit to St. Petersburg, for the chess club in the Imperial Palace would receive him with enthusiasm. I did not hear Morphy promise to go, however. But to return to Anderson. The professor came and went away in a hurry, his vacations only lasting two weeks. As he wished us good-bye, he said slyly to Morphy, "'They won't be pleased with me at Berlin, but I shall tell them, Mr. Morphy will come here.' After the conclusion of the match, I pointed out to Herr Anderson certain remarks on his play in the Illustrated London News, in which the writer observed, "'This is not the play of the victor of the tournament of fifty-one. He replied, "'Oh,' We know Mr. Staunton. In 1851 his opinions of my play were not very high, and he lost a knot by my skill, but because he was ill. Mr. Staunton always has two meanings, one which he writes, and one which he keeps to himself. End of section 20